I'm Marianne Kolbesek McGee, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with Alexandra Gibbons, President and CEO of the Center for Democracy and Technology, a digital privacy advocacy group. Alex will be speaking to me about health data privacy concerns emerging in the aftermath of the U.S. Supreme Court's recent decision to overturn Roe versus Wade. So Alex, for starters, what are some of the top data privacy concerns that individuals face now that the Supreme Court has overturned Roe versus Wade and why? I think this has really been a wake-up call for many people about the sheer amount of information that we share online in the course of living our daily lives. There's been a lot of press coverage of period tracking apps and the risks there, and that's certainly one important thing to talk about. But what we're trying to raise awareness is, you know, your browsing history, your search history, potentially, ultimately, the records of communications, whether those are text messages or emails, all are vulnerable now. We think about this in two different ways. One is just commercial data privacy. You know, how much information is potentially being sold to data brokers, which can then be widely accessed by anybody, really. And then separately, there are the questions of law enforcement access. But I think we actually need to talk about both sides of that coin, because regular data practices are opening women up and are going to open women up to vulnerability as well. So with that said, Alex, what are the types of privacy issues that you're most worried about? You mentioned mobile health apps. There's a lot of discussion about location data, IP addresses being used to track down individuals seeking reproductive information or health care. What sorts of things need to be worried about? That's exactly right. So what we need to worry about is all of the different ways in which a woman's information or the information of anybody who's seeking reproductive care could end up opening up to litigation, either from law enforcement or from these private bounty hunters that the Texas law has created. You know, they've, they allow private individuals to bring lawsuits against people who are either seeking an abortion or aid and abet an abortion. And they put a $10,000 reward out there if you bring one of those cases. So that creates a really dangerous incentive for bounty hunters to be out there trying to gather private information about people to build a case. We need to be thinking about location information. So we've already had stories break through in the news, for example, of data brokers that were gathering location information about where people went immediately before visiting a Planned Parenthood clinic and where they went immediately after and putting that open for general sale. A reporter got it for about $160. So location information, I think, is really troubling. But also internet searches, browser history. There's been important coverage recently about even some medical providers who have third-party trackers on the page where they allow you to schedule an appointment. So all of that tells us that companies really need to be thinking about the ways in which they're collecting information that could ultimately be revealing of a person's pregnancy status and start taking steps right away to lock that down. So Alex, what can women and their healthcare providers potentially do to protect women's privacy in the wake of the SCOTUS decision and the fact that some states are already outlawing abortion and or criminalizing it? There are steps that users can take, but I actually think we need to have a conversation about what the companies are doing. And part of the reason is I worry that we're going to have stories and women are going to delete their period tracking apps and then think that they are home safe. And, you know, anybody that knows about data privacy knows that that's not the case. So we really need companies stepping up too. 
That said, I do think there's practical advice we can give to users and that people should be should be spreading out there. So some of the tips that we are giving is for people to really focus on their location data. That means going into the settings of your phone, turning off location tracking for any app that doesn't need it, having location tracking happen only when you need it by an app that you trust. We're encouraging people to look at tools that save your information on your phone as opposed to up in the cloud. So for example, women that are tracking their reproductive cycles, you might want to do that in the notepad app on your phone or for some of the health apps that now allow local storage on your device. We're encouraging people to look for services that allow users to be anonymous. So instead of having to give a phone number or an email address or to use their real name, how can people use those tools anonymously? We want apps that are deleting and give people the power to delete information. And then, of course, the really important one, we're educating users to look for apps that very plainly pledge to their users that they are not sharing that information with third parties, which, of course, is where so much of the vulnerability comes in. So, Alex, you just talked about some steps that individuals can take. And in the wake of the Roe decision, the Department of Health and Human Services has released new privacy guidance addressing disclosures by healthcare providers to third parties pertaining to patients' sensitive health information. And then also guidance that addresses the steps that individuals can take to better protect health data that does not fall under HIPAA's regulatory umbrella such as smartphones and mobile health apps, including fertility tracker apps. Some of that advice is similar to what you just offered. What is your first impression of this new guidance? I am really glad that the administration acted so quickly. And I'm sure many of your listeners who are companies, you know, appreciate that too. We need clarity from HHS to help healthcare providers understand the scope of their obligations and have courage if they are going to be pushing back on aggressive law enforcement requests. So the HIPAA guidance in particular was was very welcome. I think that helped address some open questions. Of course, there is going to be more work that needs to be done on that question. And importantly, just getting that information out broadly so that your average provider knows how to follow the law, how to protect uh, their patients. As a general matter, I do think it's important for providers to be thinking not only about law enforcement access requests, of course that is deeply important, but also who else they might be inadvertently revealing information to. So those are some of those commercial data practices, like for example, allowing third-party cookies for advertising purposes on the first page of your website. So this is a moment where people should be looking for guidance. Companies should be assessing and doing an inventory of their practices and making sure that they are as protective of their patients as they would want their doctors to be of them. And that includes doing an audit of how you respond to law enforcement requests, how you push back on that, and broader data practices as well. So from a regulatory and or legislative perspective, what might help better protect women's sensitive health information privacy moving forward? Well, you called this out beautifully before. I think so many people across the country assume that HIPAA protects their health information. And those of us who've worked in this field know that that's not the case, that HIPAA only covers a very limited portion of information with a very specific set of providers. And today people go to Dr. Google for advice, right? You know, we look online and there are so many other steps that you can take, sources of information that can reveal your health status other than formal medical records. 
So what we really need is privacy protections for that data. And I would have said that five years before Dobbs, as well as I am saying it today. This is an evergreen truth. America needs a comprehensive federal privacy law, both for reasons after Dobbs, but also for the very many reasons that people should want to protect their information that they share online in the course of their daily lives. So this is a renewed moment to focus on the importance of that, that we need those protections. The last thing I'll say is that companies shouldn't be waiting for that regulation to come though, right? Users are savvy. They know that they should be able to trust their companies. And right now, I think many don't don't feel that way. And so what we need is companies leaning into this moment to be taking affirmative steps to protect their users. So some of the things that we're calling for are companies really to lean in on limiting the amount of data that they collect, particularly if they collect data that might be revealing of a person's health status or other sensitive information. We want people really making sure that they are not sharing with third parties, cracking down on that. We need far more oversight and understanding of how the data broker industry works. So that's another space where I think there's a lot that industry could do now, even absent congressional regulation to protect people's privacy. And users are asking for that. It's time for the companies to act. And Alex, what about the potential for other health data breaches, such as medical record snooping, or cyber attacks involving hacktivists in the wake of this decision? Do you think we're going to see a surge in any of those sorts of activities and why? It's a great flag. And I think the answer is yes, again, because we have at least one state law and probably others that follow incentivizing private bounty hunters to be getting the most intimate health details about women and providers in the reproductive health space. So I do think this is a moment for cybersecurity professionals to be stepping up their protections for their clients in this space. And again, for all companies to be thinking about just how much data they collect, how necessary that is, what their storage practices are, and how long they're keeping those records, which we know all of which create new and expanded vulnerabilities. So that is a real moment. The other thing that we're going to have to think about, which is getting a little overlooked right now, is the number of websites out there that are trapping women into sharing personal information when actually they are fronts or fake websites, often providing pro-life advice or care. And that's not to counter and say that, you know, all of that information should be shut down. But the problem is the fake websites that actually are luring women in when they perform an online search for abortion services. And instead, they get rerouted to a fake provider who is collecting their personal information and then may well be using it in an effort to punish that woman or deter people engaging in those searches. There is going to be a crisis in confidence of women seeking medical advice and medical care. So we also have to think about how do we boost authoritative, trusted sources of information for people who are seeking help in this dire time in their lives. And that I think is another area where companies are going to have to step up. The social media companies are going to have to step up because often that's where people go for information. The search engines are going to have to step up. So that's going to be another really important conversation. How do we boost trusted sources of information and crack down on fake websites, doxing websites that are actually going out to harm and, and entrap people seeking reproductive care? And finally, Alex, any other related urgent issues that are top of mind involving health data privacy? What a moment to be in this field, right? I hope your listeners, many of whom are deep professionals in this space themselves, are viewing this moment as a call to action. I know that I personally, I'll speak for a moment as a, as a 
as a woman and a mother, sometimes you look at events in the news and they feel removed from you. Other times they feel very close. And this is a space where people should feel empowered and obligated to step up to this moment where the privacy of so many people in our country is in jeopardy. And in particular, the most marginalized and low-income communities that we know are going to be most impacted by the change that comes after the Dobbs decision. So I hope people view this as a call to action, that there are things companies can be doing to protect their users, to be improving their data privacy and security practices, and really setting a model for time to come. Well, thank you very much, Alex. I've been speaking to Alexandra Givens of CDT. I'm Marianne Kolbesek-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for joining us.